0: So if you were to ask the majority of American churches who they worship, most of them would say they worship Jesus or the God of the Bible. If you were to dig in a little deeper, you'd start realizing that most churches have, if you will, differences in their style. So you'll have some that are cultural differences, some that are preferences, and some may very well even be just a difference in ...based on the church polity, if you will, their denomination. The reason why many churches operate this way is because they've always done it that way. Most churches operate a certain way because they've done it a certain way. In digging into the personal lives of members, each church will probably look differently than another. But what becomes even more evident is the difference in what leadership and members view worship to be in most churches... In fact, the Barna study discovered that among the key worship issues in the church, going adults, and Protestant senior pastors, that they do not share a common perception of what the most important outcome of worship is. Congregants were most likely to understand worship as activity undertaken for their personal benefit. 47% said that. While senior pastors described the purpose of worship as connecting with God, around 41%, or experiencing His presence, the other 30 Only three of ten church-going adults, 29%, indicated that they view worship as something that is focused primarily on God. One out of every five attenders admitted that they had no idea what the most important outcome of worship is. You see, it's really sad that when we come to worship God, we don't even know what we're doing. It's a travesty in the church that we attend weekly, on Sunday, systematically, every week, and we don't even know what we're doing. We don't even know why we're there. We don't even know what the standard of worship is. One author made this statement, and this is an actually, actually a non-believer who, a few weeks before he committed suicide, said this. Listen to these words. It says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual lure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is, they're unconscious. They are default settings. This is David Foster Wallace, a few weeks before he ended up committing suicide. The real issue here for the church is the same issue that the nation of Israel experienced. What is worship? What does it look like? And do we have it right? You see, most of us today will not outright deny the God of the Bible. We will not outright deny Christ. But what tends to happen is a word we call syncretism. It's a mixing Of who Christ is and the God of the Bible is with some other religious system. In fact, what is syncretism? The blending or mixing of two or more religious systems of thought. Now you may be saying, I go to Sovereign Grace Church. That's just not me. That doesn't exclude you. That doesn't exclude you. This is a statement that every one of us should be aware of. We have this proclivity. Every one of us has this proclivity. And as we work through the text this morning, you're going to see... That just because you're around solid teaching does not make you immune. Just because you see God working does not make you immune. Just because you know how He's worked in the past does not make you immune today. If you have your Bibles turned to Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32, and as we open up this chapter, we're going to see some very important things in regards to worship. You see, the nation of Israel is not the only one that messed up their perspective of worship. You and I have the same tendency and proclivity that they do. In fact, I would argue that we have an easier chance to fall into this than even they did. There's this thing called Google and the Internet. And a lot of Christians do searches based on things they're not sure of. And when they do those searches, they click on a link that many times is not accurate rendition of what the Scripture says. It's the word of God mixed with some philosophy of man, or another worldview, or another religious system. And that Christian brings that into the church and then says, I'm worshiping God the way he intends, because I experienced something. Experience does not not qualify proper worship, because everybody's experience is different. And if we're going to go off of experience, then who's to say your experience is the correct one and mine isn't? You see, this is why it's important to go to the Word of God for our standard and not come up with it ourselves. Because it's very easy to do so. That's why a lot of churches have their opinions, have their stances, but ultimately the standard is God's Word. The standard is not what someone's preference is or opinion. The standard is what is God's opinion, what is God's standard. We're going to look at a few different things. Number one, the false deity, verses 1-4. through four. Number two, the dangerous practice, verses 5-6. through six. Number three, the quick corruption, verses seven through eight. Number four, the pleading for mercy, verses nine through fourteen. Number five, the divine instruction, verses fifteen through sixteen. Number six, the misunderstanding, verses seventeen through eighteen. And number seven, the judgment, verses nineteen through thirty-five. Number one, the false deity. If you look in your Bible, you'll see that verses 1 through 4, here's what happens. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, remember Moses went up to get the law from the Lord. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. They were desperate because their leader was gone. They were desperate because Moses was not around. And because someone has seen the mighty works of God... Does not protect them from false worship. Guess who Moses' right hand man was. During all the plagues of Egypt. Aaron. You think Aaron doesn't know. Who God is. You think Aaron's not familiar. With the the type of God he is to worship. Oh he's very familiar. Guess who gets to. Guess who participates. With the rest of the people here. Believer. Just because you've been in the church for a long time does not negate you from falling into this trap. Do not believe the lie that you're immune. There's no vaccination for false worship. Okay? There's only one thing that'll keep you from that that error is getting into the Word of God. And when you and I get away from the Word of God, the proclivity for false worship is much higher. Much higher. In fact, they designed their own God from some of the most valuable things they had. He asked them to bring gold. Gold is a precious thing. So they decided hey, we're going to replace Jehovah with this image. And here's what's interesting they gave their self created God the credit for what Jehovah did. They conjured up this God themselves and then gave the calf the credit for leading them out of Egypt. You and I read this and go, that's just foolishness. How? How could they do something like that? I'll tell you how. It's very easy when you're not worshipping consistently and asking the Lord for instruction. And when the leader's not around, to fall into big traps. Spiritual leadership in the church matters. It absolutely does. But that's one of the reasons why you need your own time with God. What do you do when you're not here on Sunday? What are you you doing when you're not around the Word? What do you do when you only open the Word for Sunday morning and wonder why the week went the way it did? Oh, you come back for the recharge after you're depleted to zero. But here's the question. Are you coming back to worship God the way He wants to be worshipped? Or are you coming and presenting just as I am Even though God doesn't want you to stay the way you are. God wants to take us just as we are, but he doesn't keep us that way. Most churches think that that's like some really neat thing to do. Casual dress. It's totally fine. God will take you any way you want. God doesn't keep you that way. It's the whole point of sanctification. If you know any scripture, God does not keep you where you are. That is not his goal. You should not have the same habits you had 10 years ago, believer. You should be more consistent in your walk with God, not less consistent. You should be more in the Word, not less. You should pray more, not less. What happened? We bought into the world's philosophy. It's really not a big deal. You know. And then the obvious, well, whatever the people are doing, I'm going to start doing. Look, like your standard is not somebody else in this church. It just isn't. I mean, of all people, Aaron should have known better. He was the mouthpiece for Moses. Of all people, Aaron should have known better. But Aaron encourages this mess. Is the God you worship the one that's revealed in the Word of God? Is the God you worship the one that's revealed in the Word of God? You see, the God you and I may worship may be nothing more than a self made, masqueraded and spiritual language God that we conjured up. Believer, don't fool yourself. Just because you have a picture of Jesus on the wall does not mean that you're worshiping the same Jesus. Just because you have a picture on the wall does not mean you're worshiping the God of the Bible. There are many people that wear crosses around their neck that should feel a disgrace that they're doing that. Especially when they live the lifestyles they live. The cross was a mark of shame. And yet so many people think it's just some really neat thing that you and I can just wear around our neck and not think twice. Number two, the dangerous practice. Look at verses five through six. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Ho, ho, then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. By the way, they weren't playing Uno. Okay? Something a little more sinister than that. After designing the God in the image of a calf, they decided to mix the worship of Jehovah, the false God they created, with. This idol, this cap that they just designed. You know what's even more striking? Is that they actually offered sacrifices. And mixed the worship of Jehovah with this false God that they just conjured up. The danger for most of us is not an outright denial of Jesus Christ. It's the addition of other things that we attach to worship for him, with him. God will not share his glory with anybody else. Period. And yet so many people share worship of God with other things they attach to that. Case in point, here are some examples in case you're going, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Instead of relying on the Lord to work in our lives, what if we swapped scriptural reading for positive thinking? I don't think the church has ever done that, right? We just need to be more positive garbage is from the pit of hell. You know what's positive? You're on your way to hell apart from Christ. That's what's positive. You know what's positive? It's only grace that saves you. You've got nothing to offer in and of yourself. And see, this is the garbage that Christianity buys into all the time. Just think more positively, better thoughts. We Just put some headphones on, tune out the noise. You want to tell me your worship's not going to be messed up? You're mixing secular authors with Scripture and saying it's the same thing. It's not. It's not even close to the same thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't read other authors. You need a good balance. You need to understand what other people in the world are writing. But you need to be careful that you're not letting that influence your worship. And sadly, a lot of Christians don't realize that a lot of the book studies that they do is filled with garbage from New Age philosophy. Mystical writings. All sorts of stuff that belongs out there, not in the church. But they have this nice quote here in the Bible. You see that? That was a verse. That was a really good verse. They put, oh, I can do all things through Christ. But how do they apply it? What was the context? Here's another one. Giving other authors more authority in our worship of Christ, we almost replace authors with Christ. What do I mean by that? It's like they're, they're our go-between between God and us. I've got to go through that author. That author knows God better than I do, so I'm going to read them, and they're going to help me worship God. You have one mediator between you and God. That's Jesus Christ. I don't care who the preacher is. They are not the mediator. You see, that's the problem with a lot of Christians. I can't worship unless I have this author. Oh, I love how they put it. You're right. They may put it well. But they should be attracting you to Christ, not to them. Here's another one. In fact, Paul actually made a statement, I believe, in Corinthians. we talked about this before. We're just mere men. We're nothing special. We're just mere men. Why are you elevating us? The status of God. We're not. Third one. Giving credence to how Jesus makes us feel rather than trying to grasp more of who he is. I'm going to park here for a second. I want you to hear me out. Okay? If our version of Jesus Christ is purely sentimental, then judgment and discipline in our whole life will make no sense. If your idea of who Jesus is is always a sentimental feeling... You will not understand discipline. You will not understand judgment, because you're constantly going to go. The Lord is for me. Everything's fine. We constantly play mind games with ourselves if we view Jesus that way, and that's one of the reasons why when you and I fall into sin, what we want is a good sentimental feeling rather than the Word of God to convict us. We need someone to tell tell us we're okay. Look, believer, you need to learn how to balance some truths in the Word of God. And you're. some of us are really heavy on, man, I feel terrible. God's going to come and discipline me really bad. And then the other side of us, others, others in the church, they go to extreme sentimental mentality. Oh, the Lord is always for me. Everything's perfectly fine. No, it's not. There's discipline coming, and it already is here. And no warm feeling is going to take that away. And you need to be able to deal in both of those realms. You're going to swing one way or the other in this church. Realize which one you are. I tend to be the one that's like, oh man, God's going to come and get me now. You know? You might be the other one. God's so for me. Isn't it wonderful? Okay. (laughs) Right. And then you look at people like me. But no condemnation in Jesus Christ. You're right. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk in the Spirit. Right? So number three, the quick quick corruption, verses 7 and 8. Look at this. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people, (laughs) and God's not even taking possession right now, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Hey Moses, you're their leader, your people. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Uh, By the way, I just want you to focus on one phrase, okay? They have turned aside quickly, quickly out of the way. You think corruption has to take a long time? Not according to this verse, it doesn't. It does not take long to go from we will do whatever you say to ignoring the instruction, creating a God that violates the first commandment given. The very first commandment that's given is violated by what they just did here. You should not live a faithful life to Christ based on spiritual leaders you wait to guide you. You should follow the instructions already laid out in the Word. You shouldn't wait for a sermon on Sunday to walk with God. You should be walking with Him. Pastors that want the people to consistently wait for them to obey God are not doing what the Word says and giving the Word to the people so that they themselves follow God. God has given the church leaders, but he wants both leaders and members to follow the word. I'm not setting up my own standard here. This is the standard, and guess what? You get to read it if you have the Bible. This isn't something that only Pastor Roman has the only copy, and only Pastor Roman gets to preach from it. You have your own copy at home. The question is, how much are you reading it? Here's what's interesting, though. If you go to Deuteronomy, you know what what God actually refers to this... Idolatry or false worship, as he actually refers to this as demon worship. Listen to this verse, these verses actually they provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. When you mix worship of the one and true God with other philosophies and other religious systems, you are now entering the realm of spiritual, demonic reality. If you think worship does not matter, that you can just bring whatever you want, but you don't realize that the word of God is very clear on this, there's demons that are involved. This is why it's scary that the church entertains New Age philosophy in the church. It's scary. But it's so good. I feel so free. That thing leads you to hell, it's terrifying. Number four there's a pleading for mercy, verses 9 through 14. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them? So kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. God wants to restart with just Moses. He says, I've had it. Moses, I'm going to restart with just you. And Moses reminds God of the unconditional covenant he made with Abraham. Now, technically speaking, would God still fulfill that covenant if Moses was around? Of course he would. Last time I checked, Moses qualifies, he's still a part. But God God wanted Moses to come to him and ultimately understand who he was before him. You see, Moses remained faithful, begging God not to decimate the nation who disobeyed the first two commandments shortly after saying they would do anything that was commanded. God's character is what Moses cares about more than the people of Israel. You know the problem with most of us? We care about people before we care about God. We care more about the sentimental feeling of being kind to somebody than we care about how it makes God look. There's some practical stuff right there. You and I will love others best when we care more for God's glory than mere pity. People are valuable. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. That's why they're valuable. It's always important to plead for mercy on behalf of others that have walked away from the faith or are not even spiritually alive. Believer, you don't stop pleading on behalf of others. Maybe it's vital that we start living like Moses, closer to God, so we can pray more intercessory prayers for others instead of pleading for mercy on our own soul. Maybe we would be able to offer more intercessory prayers if we walk closer to God ourselves. There's always that woe is me that comes upon a person that gets the fact that they're walking before a holy God. But Moses here has such a close walk with God that he's going, I care more about God's character than I care about those people. I care about those people, but I care ultimately about God's character. God promised these things, and I want Him to still show mercy to them. Number five, the divine instruction, verses 15 and 16. This is a small detail that I think we could miss easily. Then He said, Sorry, I'm going to 33 here. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in His hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. A small detail that we glance for a short period of time is the very work of God written on the tablets that Moses held in his hand. According to Jewish writing, the most common understanding is that the first five commandments were written on one tablet, and the other five commandments were on the second. There are some opinions on this, though. The Torah describes the writing as inscribed from both their sides. On one side and on the other, they were inscribed. This means, according to one author, that the inscription was engraved through and through. As such, the words were clearly legible on one side and written in mirror writing on the other. The centers of these letters must have miraculously been suspended in place. Others teach that the writing was miraculously legible on each side. In other words, although the letters were engraved all the way through, they could nevertheless be read from right to left on both sides. Rabbi Bishay explains this because the Torah can be understood on two levels, one revealed and one hidden. This was the very word of God that Moses was to go down the mountain and deliver to the people. How seriously do we take the word of God when it's delivered to us? Do you take the word of God lightly when it's delivered to you and me? Or do we only take parts of the word that we are most comfortable with? I like that verse. That's a really good verse. Not this one so much. I thought of starting a uh, Facebook post on Mondays. I probably shouldn't do it. On verses that would never show up on Caleb. Probably shouldn't do that. But, you know, it's stunning how many things... How many things we ignore in Scripture because we don't like them. You realize that the Ten Commandments have so much on them to continually chew over that you still won't grasp the full meaning for a long time. And there are things written right in the Decalogue that are pretty big warning statements. So it's important. It's important for us to realize that when the word of God is preached, we listen. Not because of who's delivering the message, but because the message is what matters. Number six, the misunderstanding. The misunderstanding, verses 17 and 18. Look at this. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, by the way, Joshua was around Moses, he waited for him. He said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So, when you have Joshua assuming one thing about the noise he hears, and it turns out to be something completely different, what you have is a problem. You have a misunderstanding. Joshua's assuming one thing, and Moses said, No, you're wrong. It's this. Small detail that is important for us to consider if our worship can be confused for something else. Maybe we're guilty of the very thing that we call syncretism. Let me dive a little deeper here for a second. If our church worship can be confused for following maybe some of these patterns, maybe we can be guilty. Okay, Here's one motivational speech versus biblical instruction. If a church wants to tell its congregation how God is always for them, it's always positive, there's nothing bad that could ever happen, we're not worshiping the same God. We're not worshiping the same God. You know, it really hurts me sometimes when I look at Preachers online and and I and I take the time to really pay attention to what different people out there say. There are certain preachers, I literally will listen to their sermons, and they have good sermons on certain topics, and then I go, they don't ever hit this other topic, ever. They don't even come close to dealing with sexual immorality in their church sermons. Ever. I wonder what that is. I bet it is easier to just preach on how money is important and God will prosper you all the time. Might be a nice thing to keep talking about. Everybody wants to be rich. I don't know too many people are like, yeah, Lord, give me, give me, give me broken life. I don't want to have anything on this earth. All to Jesus I surrender. I don't, want any, I don't want any possessions. I want to be broke my whole life. That's not most of us. That's just not. And sadly what happens in the church is mo- most of it now has become motivational speech instead of biblical preaching. Most of the church today wants to have their ears tickled. And you're so wonderful. You're so sweet. The Lord loves you. You never do anything wrong. You're in Christ. In every letter that Paul writes, every letter, check it out for yourself, sex morality is dealt with. Every letter he writes. Not just the church of Corinth that everybody quotes. Every letter he writes, that topic is mentioned. Here's another one. If our worship is a typical rock concert, and people can't distinguish that from worship, we may be guilty of syncretism. If people are coming in for the concert experience in a church, you might be guilty. We might be guilty. I am not saying that a Christian concert outside the church is the same as worship in church. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying is worship in the church belongs distinct. And it needs to be distinct. And this is an area of conviction in my own heart that I don't ever want. Worship mixed with the world. And what the world wants to bring in. That does not mean we throw the band away and all that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is it makes a difference how we worship. If people are coming in just for a euphoric experience all the time, without understanding the words that they're singing, we may have a problem. That is the reason why a lot of churches, their emphasis is on the music, it's not on the Word of God. And any church that emphasizes music or any other motives or modes of worship and says the Bible doesn't really need more than five minutes, does not worship the God of the Bible. The law of the Lord... Is perfect, converting the soul. Without the word of God, you don't come to saving faith. So don't tell me the word of God is not vital and important. It's absolutely essential. And the churches that don't give the word of God to their people, shame on them. God's going to deal with that. But we need to be aware in our church what we're doing. Here's another one. A social club. Versus a church that edifies and admonishes one another in the word. Look, you and I can talk sports all day. But if that's all we're doing in church, we're nothing more than a social club. We're nothing more than a social club. If Pats is all we talk about in this church, we are nothing more than a social club. The word needs to be a priority. It needs to be a priority. The church was created to bring people that are lost... To saving faith and then disciple them up. To then lead someone else. The church church was not designed to be some exclusive club where you just have fun and hang out. The church was designed to help those that are broken and in sin find restoration in Christ. And if all we are is a social club, we're not doing God the right worship that he deserves. We need to be able to hold the tension, church, of being declared holy and accepted in the beloved and a sinner still saved by grace. You need to be able to hold that tension, believer. If you can't hold that tension, you're going to constantly get out of whack. Because you're going to give yourself passes when you don't need to, or you're going to dip into depression you can't get out of. You need to be able to hold that tension, brother and sister. You do. It's a balancing act. It's hard to do. But it must be done. And number seven. The judgment. Verses 19 through 35. Look at this. It says, so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. He just went from pleading with God to anger. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and scattered it into the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? I want to make sure we get a couple things clear here. Moses went from pleading to God for the people of God to getting angry with the people because of what they had done. This is a righteous indignation that Moses has here. You guys remember when Jesus goes to the temple? And it just absolutely aggravated him. That that became the shopping mall, if you will, instead of proper worship. This is a righteous indignation that Moses has here. In fact, if you're reading through the Old Testament, you should be able to start seeing some links between Moses and Christ. Some really amazing things. Forty days and forty nights, fasting, guess what Jesus does? Just a couple things out there that you I don't I don't know if you've paid attention to see something. It's really interesting, especially when the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the better. Moses. Moses burns up the calf. It's interesting. Look at verse number 20 again. He burns up the calf and threw it into the water, making the people drink it. I wondered how that all went down. I was trying to picture that in my head when I read this. Alright, let's burn this in the water line up I don't know you know I don't know how it went down I'm just trying to picture it in my head how does Moses make two million people drink this stuff or approximately we don't know for sure Moses confronts his brother Aaron <laughs> his co-leader if you will right asking how he was pressured that he would cave in so much look at verse 21 he goes, Why did this people do to you? What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Like, Aaron, what were you doing? Like, what did they do to you? Like, did they threaten you here? Aaron, I love Aaron's response. It's one of the most humorous responses I think I'll ever find in Scripture. Aaron blames the people for being evil. (laughs) Look at what he says. Look at this. This is amazing. And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot though you already saw it but Moses is pretty ticked already you know the people that they are set on evil look at this blame game huh? you know how they are I couldn't help it for they said to me make us gods that shall go before us as for this Moses the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt we do not know what has become of him and I said to them whoever has any gold let them break it off so they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and then the most miraculous thing ever happened and this calf came out Like, do you believe in miracles? This is an ultimate here, Aaron. Like, I didn't fashion anything. It just came out, boom, look at that, perfect cat. What a sick joke. It's amazing. The blame game we all play. We play the same game that Aaron plays. Our church isn't loving because other people aren't loving. Our church doesn't worship God the way we ought to. Because other people aren't worshiping the way they ought to. I've been in the church for so many years. It must be okay. It's the way we've always done it. I mean it's, it's, it's stunning. That Aaron has the audacity. To earlier in the chapter design the cap. And then pull himself away from that equation entirely and say, well, I threw it in the fire and it came out. Believer, don't tell me you don't do that with sin. Oh, we do. It wasn't really me, it was my coworker. The earliest thing in Genesis was the wife that you gave me, Lord. Adam's blame game. She gave to me and I ate. It's her fault. What does the woman do? It's not her fault either. It's the servant's fault. You see, the longer you and I are blaming everybody else in the church, the longer it takes for God to finally do something in our church that we can reach somebody else. The more you and I blame one another, the longer it will take for God to break through in this church and for us to reach our community. Don't blame everybody else. I'm going to say this part for a second. I don't really have this in my notes, but I feel like God wants me to say this. I love this church. And I don't care how many times we get things wrong. I love you all. And I want God's best for you. I mean that with all my heart. I'm going to hurt you and you're going to hurt me. But we have a God that has so many things in store for us, we just get things right. Don't blame everybody else. Take the initiative. Own it. This is God's church. It's not my church. You're his people. And I promise you, as much as I can, and God gives me strength, I'll do my best to love you the way that I ought to. It's not always going to be pretty. You already know that. But I promise you, I love every single one of you. And I care for your well-being, and I care for your family, and unsafe relatives and friends that you know. Because we have a lost world that needs Christ. And we need to stop bickering over the dumb things. Start arguing for the bigger things. The mission field that's ripe for harvest. You think Springfield does not have plenty of people that need the Lord? Oh, it does. Oh, that God would use our church to bring the crime rate down because people got saved. That's a prayer of mine. What's interesting here, in verses 27 through 28, is that central, vile, foreign practice of worship was mixed with the worship of Jehovah. Look at this. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in, in the, and from the camp to the entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother and every man his companion, every man his neighbor. So the, Lord, the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Why did they have to go do that? That's the question. Why did Moses have to say, whoever is on the Lord's side, come with me? Because these people were doing more than just playing Una. They were violating worship of Jehovah. That would be the equivalent of somebody performing a sexual act in church. And the church going, oh, it's not a big deal. That was what was going on here. And you need to take this seriously, believer. We did not do the things that they did back then. But I promise you, there's a lot of stuff we offer to God with that same mentality. Doesn't matter what I'm like at home. Oh, it does. Doesn't matter what I'm like at work. Oh, yes, it does. Doesn't matter what I'm like around my spouse. Oh, yes, it does. Here's what's interesting. With that whole congregation and a lot of the people that sinned, it's very much implied here that some people didn't participate. Just because the majority of people were doing this does not mean that the sons of Levi were doing this as well. They joined Moses. These are things that God had forbidden, and God executed judgment quickly. This is the reason why it's difficult for the world to understand a lot of the Old Testament. They don't understand all the practices these people were doing. When people are literally offering their children to Moloch and burning to a false god and we're stunned that Israel went in and conquered them? Don't paint a picture of God that's inaccurate, brother or sister. God is a loving God, but He's a just God as well. There are a lot of people that will have real agony one day for the things they've done in America when it comes to abortion those days I would not want to be them and I'm not talking about here in this country but I'm talking when they stand before God and they have to give an account for what they've done the Levites were established as those that fought for God's glory and his holy standard here's what's interesting to know. Who else still got to serve with the Levites? Aaron. Wow, God is merciful. Aaron participated, and God extended mercy to him. It's amazing. Aaron made the calf, but didn't participate. It seemed like he kind of played the middle ground as much as he could. They wanted it. I told them to give me the gold. Here's this calf. Believer, you got to pick a side. You're either on the Lord's side or you're not. There are not multiple teams. There's only two. Light and darkness. Pick. And you're following either one or the other. Moses goes once again to offer atonement. Look at this. Verses 30 and 31. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I, now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Moses still pleads for these people after all of this. You and I can beg... And plead for forgiveness for others. But ultimately, look at what happens here. In verse 33, the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf, which Aaron made. By the way, for emphasis, Aaron made. Sorry, Aaron, you don't get away with it. Scripture recorded, you made it. You and I can beg and plead on others' behalf, but ultimately each person is responsible for their own sin. And the punishment and discipline that goes along with it. There were other consequences that still followed this incident, as that's clearly revealed in verse 35. So we read earlier for Bible reading, Hebrews chapter 3. Let's go there really quick and we'll finish this morning. Hebrews chapter 3. Read verses 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another, what's the word? Daily. Hey, we have Facebook today. They didn't even have that back then. Wow, what a church revolution that would be. We encourage one another daily. It's easier today than it's ever been. And yet we're more separate from people than we've ever been. Stunning, huh? We have easier access to anybody on this earth. But we're more separate than we've ever been. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Brother or sister, this is you and me. We all need this. This isn't like only certain people in the church need this. Everybody needs this. So in closing, what unbiblical things have you mixed in your worship of God? in worship of Christ. Think it through. There are unbiblical things that we've mixed in our worship of Christ, every one of us. We're just not paying attention enough sometimes. Make the worship of God exclusive, not inclusive. What do I mean by that? God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. You don't get to mix other things in. And number 2 we we'll close with prayer. For whom have you pleaded that God would extend mercy toward? Are you like Moses? Are you pleading with God for the mercy in someone else's life? You see, some of us We're not even careful to pay attention to our own hearts so we don't pray for others because we aren't careful enough to walk close to God ourselves. If we would walk like Moses did with God, we would be offering more intercessory prayers for others. I believe that with all my heart. The reason why Moses was mightily used by God is because he stayed close to God. Oh, did Moses blow it? Of course he did. I'd probably get frustrated with two million people very quickly. Wouldn't take that long. Moses was a lot more patient. But in closing, I want to ask you this. Who are the people that you're interceding on their behalf before the Lord? Right now, currently. Have you stopped? Have you given up praying? I'm charging you that God wants us to pray for the salvation of others. And he wants us to pray for the spiritual vitality of the church. That's something that we should be doing daily. Let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. And Father, as we close out the service, I ask that you would help us to pay attention in areas that we have slipped and fallen. We ask that you would restore the worship that belongs in your church. And we ask that this church that you would guard us from any false worship uh, that keeps creeping in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.